tonight on the Fanatic Forum, we got a good one for you today. All sorts of geekery abounding, but most importantly, we're talking cartoons with an actual cartoon. This is, this is unprecedented here. But yeah, we're going to do that right after this. Happy Friday and welcome to the Fanatic Forum. I'm your Fanatic and host, George Bueller. I hope everybody's having a great day out there. Uh, it is San Diego Comic-Con weekend, though it's a little bit more different of a con this weekend because uh, of the uh, writers and actors strike. So it's a con actually about comics. Imagine that. <laughs> uh, but we're going to talk probably a little bit more about that next week uh, with my guest, Andrea Starnes. I'm looking forward to having her back on the show. Uh, but of course, this week on the show, we are talking tunes. We got all kinds of fun stuff. But I first got to do my little spiel here because if this is the first time you're tuning into the Fanatic Forum, thank you for joining us here. Uh, this is a show all about geekery, uh, comic books, movies, TV. Uh, music, wrestling, video games, what have you. Uh, I'm a geek in all ways, shapes, and forms, have been for a very long time, and I like to share my passions with you guys, and like that for you guys to do that with me as well. So, uh, this is a forum open to everybody here, so welcome one and all. But most importantly, we got to welcome our special guest this week here, uh, one of our brand new hosts here on the Serial Box Network here, our buddy, Mr. Cade Hawkins, host of Cartoon Commotion. How you doing, sir? Hiya, friends. Hiya, George. How you, I'm doing a good... I'm having a good night. This is, <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on here. I mean, like I said at the top of the show, this is unprecedented. We get to talk about cartoons with a cartoon. I this, know, right? This is cool, <laughs> man. I'm just... I'm, I'm jazzed about this. I guess ever since I saw uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, when I realized that the world of reality and cartoons could coexist, I'm like, what? where is this? I think that I think that's part of the novelty of cartoon commotion. Is like I just bring that uh, cartoon flavor to reality. You know, I, I, I think there's sort of that a novelty in it. Talking with a cartoon character, and I am happy to oblige. Yeah, I, this this is awesome. So thank you very much for being on here, and uh, yeah, this is exciting. So uh, of course, uh, if your guys are not familiar with Cartoon Promotion, uh, it is Saturday nights, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, of course, you do that every other week. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be uh, two episodes a month, and mm -hmm. it, the schedule varies, but we put them out way in advance. You get this sort of, like, notification system, so right. you can come on and you can set a, set a reminder to come and be a part of the audience, and we would love to have you there. Uh, at Cartoon Commotion, we say that the live chat 
is the commotion. So there you go. Come and be a part of the commotion. <laughs> uh, but yeah, of course. But again, Cade is a brand new member of the Back of the Serial Box Network here, and so we're so happy to have you on here because every now and then we'll. we'll oh, oh, and oh and Jiggy! You can't forget Jiggy. <sighs> Jiggy. Jiggy's, Jiggy's always around. And yeah. he has prepared something for tonight. Jiggy's my pet pig. He helps me analyze animation. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's in every show. And he has prepared for you all a very special little, um, what, is it, what is it called? It's like a not a parody, but a cover. A cover of the G.I. Joe theme from the movie. Sweet. Please. From the first animated movie. Oh, you want to hear it now? Yeah, I mean, if, if or we want to save it for later, however you want to do that. Uh, I, I, wanna... I think it's. Uh, I think he wants to play it now. Jiggy, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't want to pressure you, buddy, but uh, I appreciate you being here. I love you, man, and so uh, you know what, rock out, buddy. He was practicing real, real hard, so I got to <sighs> give it up to him. Awesome. Here he is, my pal, my little buddy, Jiggy the Piggy. <laughs> You know, exactly, because the intro for the 1987 G.I. Joe the movie was epic. Like, I, I was I was ready to leave the theater at the end of the intro. It's like, this <laughs> is amazing. It. That was this, it. That, that's all the, you needed. <laughs> this is the greatest movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, we don't need anything more. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Just oh, stop oh, in there. <laughs> oh, there's, there's more movie? Oh, okay. I'm, I thought well, it was going to be really short, but yeah. Yeah, you're already hooked. You might as well stick around, right? <laughs> I guess. Oh, uh, yeah. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. That, that was an epic intro. Because I mean, of course, the old school intro was great and everything. But yeah, that's. Uh, oh, well, hey, we do have a little bit of cereal box business to conduct because we gotta plug our other friends here. So we do want to bring up cerealboxnetwork.com uh, is the one-stop shop for all cereal box stuff. Uh, where you can access all of our shows or learn to follow us and whatever else. So please ha- check out CerealBoxNetwork.com. So uh, many flavors, so many marshmallows. You, you don't want to miss this this variety. <laughs> exactly. Because, of course, you know, aside from myself and aside from Cade's cartoon commotion, uh, we've also got our flagship show, Back of the Cereal Box. We've got Ice Cream Queens, uh, Cosplay Cafe, Comic Books The New Class, uh, Cryptid Crunch, so, so many other great shows. Uh, so we get all flavors of geek pretty much here. We, we hit you on all sides. Indubitably. Yes, uh, we've already got some comments in here, so let's see here. First off, Dave Mattingly, Diamond Dave here says, TGIFF, thank God it's Fanatic Forum. I nice. love it. That needs to be on a shirt, I think. I need to, uh, you know... I'm not having gotten the merch yet for Fanatic Forum, but you know branding, what? I, branding opportunities are presenting themselves tonight. 
They really are, man. Well, I mean, Dave Mattingly is just full of just greatness anyway, so there you go. Uh, so good ideas. He certainly does. And let's see here. Uh, for him, uh, his most impactful favorite cartoon would be Looney Tunes. Uh, yeah, no kidding. Uh, uh, you know, Dave and I are of the generation, that's pretty much our first cartoons was Looney Tunes stuff. So, right. To put some context yeah. on that, that is answering the title of this uh, live stream. Yes. Uh, what question. is your favorite cartoon of all time? So there we go. Yes. Thank you very much, Kate. See? Hey, no problem. (laughs) This is a good partnership here. Uh, Let's see. Most useful tune of all time, Schoolhouse Rock. Amen to that. Interesting. Three is a magic magic number, let me tell you. Uh, That would Uh, be useful. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then most rewatched Justice League. Ooh. Very understandable. Yeah. Very understandable, Dave. Yeah, Justice League and then going into the Justice League Unlimited. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, amen to that. All right. Oh, Sherry El- Edgin is Edgin. I'm sorry. You know, I hope I'm not, I'm not butchering your name there, Sherry. But yo, <laughs> cartoon commotion, and she's excited about Jiggy, Jiggy, Jiggy. Yes, we. I, I love Jiggy. He's still I'm, here. I'm a, Jiggy. All right, and Sherry wants to know our topic for tonight is uh, what is your favorite cartoon of all time? She answers. Looney Tunes would be a number one. G.I. Joe, a very close second. Oh, G.I. Joe right. fan. Okay. Yeah, and see, and that's, for me, I would say, like, Looney Tunes was my base. Uh, but, yeah, G.I. Joe has been a cartoon I revisit constantly. Um, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when the uh, A Real American Hero 82 toys came out. Um, so, I mean, that was a major thing for me. And, and of course, I mean, that launched... You know, first it was a toy, and it was a comic book, and then very shortly thereafter, it was a cartoon. So it's like, <laughs> bang, 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 <laughs> so many yep. things. I, I think Hasbro did the right thing with Marvel and remarketing the toys, getting them, uh, getting them to actually have a story. Yeah. And marketing that story through a comic was well. I don't know if you want to get get into it already because I got a lot of notes I could talk about. Oh sure, yeah. We, we finish your thought there. Well, it's just that. Uh, they took it to Marvel to really kick it off. Yeah. Because Marvel um, was really the one who they, they uh, and I think of the Larry Hama, that's right. He yep. kind of creative, uh, basically created the world of G.I. Joe as we Absolutely. know it today. Yeah. And, he, you know, he provided the backstories for all of the characters that are on the back of the toys, mm-hmm. and all of that went into the 1983 show in, the, in its early production. Right. Um, in 1982, it, it really got started with that comic book commercial. Yeah. Uh, the comic book commercial was their very clever way of marketing the toys because at the time there were heavier restrictions on animation and what they could promote in animation. Yeah, it was and, less than 30 seconds they could use. Yeah, yeah, less than 30 seconds. But they made, like, what was it, five? Five yeah. of those? Yeah, and that's the thing. The, the, uh, that Those five commercials were all, like, clips of this, you know, the basic... And, Actually, here's an interesting thing. You should you brought that up here. So let's see. Right on. Let me, let me take that out. I there. got a segue. <laughs> you, uh, yes, sir. You do. You did get an excellent segue here because let's see here. Let's show this video here of the original 1982 commercial uh, for GI Joe here. Fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. GI Joe is there. 
here, the G.I. Joe collection. Infantry troopers. Codename Grunt. So see, you notice the, at the beginning there, that animation, very similar to how the cartoon is. And then also, that's the theme for the show. But they're so I, using. Think, I think it was because of Marvel, they were teamed up with Sunbow, and they did those animations, so it kind of just went from there and into the cartoon. They just kind of transferred what they had, you know? Yeah, see? Of course, there were slight alterations. So there's another clip there. If I if I remember correctly, the the main guy was like originally supposed to be Hawk. Yeah, because he came with a uh, missile launching system, uh, and he was the uh, commander at the time. And in the first twelve issues of the comic, it was you know Commander Hawk was the lead dude. Yeah, and it was like in that first comic commercial, like they started out with uh, started out with like a guy that looked like Duke, but he was supposed to be Hawk. Right, and and then it like in the co uh, the cartoon, obviously they led with Duke. Yeah. So that was interesting. That was and an Duke, interesting little change. Yeah, and Duke wasn't really introduced until I'm trying to think uh, somewhere around, somewhere between issues fifteen and twenty, I think. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I, yeah, it was, I just it was... I just remembered something, George. What was that? <laughs> she, okay, so I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how much of the the comic ad you saw, but when you go to uh, Destro and Cobra, their mm -hmm. voices are like total opposites of what they are in the cartoon. It's it's right. hilarious. Because yeah. Cobra in the cartoon is like obviously Cobra Commander, you know. Mm -hmm. But but then you get in in the ad, he's got a deeper voice, and Destro has the scratchy, squeaky voice. I know. Yeah, that's that is, that is funny. I know. Well, I, I remember fan, that too. As a fan, it's so comical to go back and think that that could have been. <laughs> Because mm -hmm. I couldn't imagine Cobra without that voice. I That's, know, right? Old it's Frank iconic. Wa old Frank Walker. <laughs> that, that, well, yeah. Frank Walker didn't do Cobra, though. He did... did um, he? Oh, no, the, no, was, no Cobra... Was, uh, Chris Latta, that's what it was. Yes, yeah. Chris yeah. Latta did Cobra. And yeah, sorry, Chris. <laughs> very well. I mean, uh, he also... I mean, he was also the voice of Starscream, and that's how come mm. you, you kind of, like, sticks with you, because it's like, well, yeah. he's Starscream, he's Cobra, mm -hmm. and, and the irony, the irony of it, how Starscream wants to lead. <laughs> right. And Cobra automatically is the leader, so it's almost as if Starscream all, has always been gunning for Cobra's job. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love I that. Yeah, and, and, and they were both spineless cowards, uh, so you know, <laughs> true. so it's yeah, very it's, true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got a comment here from Callie Hawkins. Here it says, "Whoop! I was born in 1970. All right, just a tad bit older than me, not too much. Uh, when I babysat three boys, we watched GI Joe. So much fun. Uh, love watching these tunes with the boys. So when we played, we would pretend to be the characters. And she loves Scarlet. Nice, nice. I, I, for me, uh, of the ladies of GI Joe, uh, Lady J is my girl. Right." So, yeah. She had an amazing uh, skill with the javelin. That was kind of cool, but she just, you know, I don't know. I just Scar <laughs> Scarlet seemed very uptight and rigid. Uh, yeah. And also in the comics, I knew she was uh, Snake Eyes uh, Boo. And so I'm like, I'm not going to, you know, lust after. Gets... I'm not going to lust after a ninja. <laughs> uh, so there you go. So hey. That, that gets a little bit more confusing with the cartoon, though, because in the very first miniseries, she set up with Duke. Yep. So it's like a lot of people were like, "Wait, I thought they were a couple." Like Snake and and her were totally together. No, <laughs> not necessarily. Not in the cartoon. 
there there are some discrepancies between the comic and the cartoon with how some of the mythology is, uh, and we'll we'll get into that when we start talking a little bit more in depth about other cartoons and right. more GI Joe stuff here. Um, but yeah, but first off, we do have some new comics I got to share with you guys here. So got some good stuff this week here. Um, didn't have anything DC. I had a kind of light week. Um, next week's gonna be huge. I think I've got like fifteen or sixteen books next week. So. Yeah, next next week's a very big week here. But my no um, huge haul. <laughs> I, I have a problem uh, when it comes to comics. Um, you, oh, I, what you? You you work at a comic book shop and you, you you're you're fine. You're set. <laughs> well, see, I've, I've only worked in a comic book shop for like almost two years now. Um, but oh, it's not that bad then. Uh, well, uh, but I've been a comic book reader since I was three, so that makes it oh. forty. Five years that I've been oh. a comic fan, so it's yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> I'm a lifelong addict. At this point, you need counseling. Got it? I, you know, if there's counseling available, I don't know. For at least for comic fans, I'm not sure here. Yeah, I tried uh, like a week not watching cartoons, but they, it didn't really work out because I mean, uh, I I mean, it's kind of like lifeblood at this point. I mean, look at me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's you know. Yeah, it's probably all the color drained out of you, I'm sure, and you know you were as part of who I am, man. I can't, yeah. I can't deny that. <laughs> you weren't, yeah. You probably weren't very animated enough. You're just kind of just like hanging out, don't do anything. So yeah. Well, so you know, you know, honestly, I, I do, I do get complaints in public. They're like, you're a bit, you're, you're a little animated. Could you? I, I'm like, well, I must be doing something right. <laughs> but um, see, we need, we need, a, you need a drum fill there. So <laughs> I don't have a drum. Uh. <laughs> Uh, I, I have epicness. Epicness. <laughs> I love that. Uh, oh, since we were talking about the ladies of GI Joe here, we don't want to get too off track here. But Dave Mangley uh, throws in uh, the Baroness uh, was uh, his uh, uh, object of desire uh, back in the day. So hubba hubba. So all right, he likes the bad girls. Interesting, but she you was know. really um, very um, flip floppy in her in her mm. alliances. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Destro was basically kind of her thing. But then, of course, there was the one uh, episode of G.I. Joe where they go into a short fuse, goes into an alternate universe, and Baroness is basically his, like, wife or something. Oh, so, man, I, I forgot about that. I need to watch that one. <laughs> yeah. There, man, there, there's there's some wacky stuff here. But here, let me bring myself up full here real quick here so I can show off the uh, covers of these books here. So don't mean to cut Kate out here, but we'll this will be short here. No uh, so. First off here, from Marvel Comics, uh, the Alien series uh, they've got going right now has been fantastic. Uh, of course, this is a uh, new creative team uh, run by uh, Declan Shalvey, who's a fantastic writer here. Uh, but issue four uh, is kind of that uh, oh damn part of the movie uh, where you think all is lost and then we got to get a wonderful moment at the end uh, where possible salvation but uh, yeah, basically the plot of this particular series is we have a terraforming group uh, on a ice planet trying to basically look for uh, viable water sources. And what their corporation basically did not tell them was they weren't alone on this planet and buried underneath the ice was a whole lot of those guys. So yeah. Very, very awful uh, sort of stuff. But yeah, if you're an Alien fan, though, uh, the 12-issue series that uh, Philip Candy Johnson did was excellent. Uh, but this uh, issue, this series here that Declan Shalvey's been doing, yeah, enjoy it very much here. Uh, big premiere this week here, 
Blade's got a new series here. Uh, this is a fantastic series. If you are a fan of Blade and the Marvel horror comics, uh, you can't get better than this. Uh, this is everything you would want in a Blade book. A great kickoff to uh, a new series here. A uh, new villain. Uh, new problems that Blade has to deal with with vampire stuff. So really good. Uh, it is pretty bloody. So uh, not quite for kids. Uh, but yeah, it's, I mean, of course you can see that front cover there. You know, yeah. This is a gory uh, Blade series here uh, that Brian Hill has been uh, writing on there. Uh, so yeah, I'm very excited about this one. Can't wait for more. Uh, Image Comics here. This is another fun one for me here. The release of Big Game Number 1. This is the very first crossover in the Mark Millar universe. Uh, this would include properties like Wanted, The Kingsman, uh, Nemesis, uh, Jupiter Ascending, uh, Huck, Starlight. Um, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, but basically, if you remember the movie Wanted or have read the, uh, the comic Wanted, there is a clandestine organization of super criminals that basically in 1986 wiped out all superheroes and basically took control of everything. So that's kind of how the Wanted movie sets you up. And basically, you know, you know about the organization, Wesley getting, you know, basically being a legacy character, yada, yada, yada. Well, flash forward to 2023 and Wesley is still leading the the organization still doing all the clandestine things they do but has realized that more new superheroes have popped up and it's time to get the gang back together to take care of another problem so yeah all the bad guys are going after all the superheroes and the heroes have no idea they're coming <laughs> oh <laughs> good stuff good stuff uh, a couple more independents here. Uh, I've been a huge fan of the Radiant Black series from Image Comics, part of the Massive Verse here. Uh, rings a little bit like Power Rangers, a little bit like Invincible. Uh, so just been a fantastic, fun kind of coming of age superhero story here. Uh, issue twenty five, yes, twenty five here. A uh, bit of a pivotal issue here. If you're a fan of the series, you know that issue 24 kind of left us on a cliffhanger. Uh, our heroes have basically been sharing the Radiant Black powers, and basically the powers aren't built to be shared. So a decision had to be made. One of them has to choose who's going to wear the Radiant, who's going to be the hero. So this is that issue. This is that choice. But there's a bit of a hitch. That's right. Same book, slightly different cover, two different outcomes. So depending on which issue you picked up, if you only got one book, you saw one outcome. But if your buddy picked up the other one, he saw an entirely different ending. So very cool gimmick. Not sure how long they're going to do that because basically now you're essentially going to have to print two different issues for every single book. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> and lastly, our final book for today, from Boom Studios, the longly awaited second issue of A Vicious Circle by Matson Tomlin and Lee Bermejo. 
This has been a fantastic series, and it's only one issue deep, but issue two did not fail. Uh, this is a time travel story, uh, a very interesting one. Basically, you have uh, essentially a good guy and a bad guy, both on the opposite sides of the mission, um, and they are essentially tethered together through, with each other through time. So if one of them gets hurt, killed, whatever else, and happens to die... The other one goes with it, and they're now basically kind of like Quantum Leap. They keep getting put in different time periods. Um, and so they've been in the future, they've been in the past, they've been prehistoric era, all sorts of stuff like that. But a fascinating story here. Uh, Mattson Tomlin did, 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 does a great job, but really what you come for is the art by the great Lee Bermejo, one of my all-time favorite artists. Uh, we know him from a lot of Batman stuff, especially uh, bust on the scene with the Batman Noel storyline, which was kind of a, uh, a telling of a Christmas car uh, carol with Batman. Uh, but a fantastic story, beautiful art, but yeah, Lee's art is just gorgeous. That is, that is painted, beautiful art there. Uh, he does the covers. This is what the interior of the book will look like as well. Uh, the fascinating thing, too, is that... Um, Lee has like his style will change depending on the time period that they're in. So you see how much of a, a, a talented artist that he is. So it's just fascinating, fascinating stuff here. So, anywho, so there you go. There are your comic uh, recommendations for this week. I love time travel stories. <laughs> and uh, uh, a vicious circle is supposed to be a quarterly release book because it's that prestige format, and Lee kind of takes his time with his art. Uh, but the second issue was more than a quarter. It was more like six months. You know, like, okay. like actually, no, 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 more like, no, actually, no, it was closer to nine. Yeah, it was close to like, there was a large gap between issues one and two to the point where customers asked about it for a while, like, when's issue two coming out? When's issue two coming out? And then they finally stopped asking about it. Because, like, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> Buy issue one again. Um, it's cool, because, like, when, when you take your time with art, it really is good. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's a huge difference between something that's just mass-pumped out and something that you really took your time on. Yeah. And so that, it shows. It shows. And obviously they really wanted it, because the first one, I mean, everyone was saying, where's two? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, so, there you go. There's some evidence right there. Take your time with your work. It'll be great. It will be. Yeah. And of course, yeah. With Bermejo, it's worth paying off. Uh, Dave had a question here about one of my comics. Uh, asked about uh, how many issues Big Game's supposed to go. I believe five uh, is how long the series is supposed to go. Now, I don't know if the other books that will be involved with it are tying in, or if this is just you follow the five issue crossover and then basically you'll start noticing characters from your other books dropping off. I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to go. Uh, but I believe the main series is five books. So, uh, but yeah, it's, again, Mark Millar, Pepe Larraz doing the art. It, it's a lot of fun, but it's it's evil kind of fun. Because, yeah, again, this one's all about the bad guys. Uh, let's see here. Uh, another comment here. We were talking about the, we were talking about the Baroness, Callie Hawkins. Not a fan. Says the Baroness was slimy, kind of slimy. Well, yeah. She's very like, kind of slimy, so... Well, what I meant earlier was that she would very quickly jump teams to, if it benefited her. Yeah. What, whatever would benefit her. And then, you know, double-cross them right away. So, <laughs> Baroness was very slick like that. So, I guess slimy and slick go very well with those in descriptive terms. <laughs> yeah, very yeah, very true. So, uh, Sherry Eggins, uh, 
chiming in here says, uh, George, I love when you and Cade get together. Lots of laughs and loads of information. I love comics. Great info about the new ones out there. Thank you very much, Sherry. I appreciate that. And yeah, I love getting together too. We have good energy together. So, uh, oh, and Sherry's got another comment here. Uh, anything with Batman is awesome. Um, that's another favorite of mine. Batman the Animated Series, top notch. Yes. Yes. Batman the Animated Yes. That was something I wanted to touch on. But I wasn't. Mm. I'm. Okay, so I got to be honest with the question like, your favorite cartoon of all time? I wasn't exactly sure where we were going to take this because we could go all over the place. And for me, yeah. for me personally, mm. I mean. I'm a living cartoon character. I I I yeah. love I love so many cartoons. <laughs> well, see, I, that's what I was curious about. It's like, does a cartoon still watch cartoons, or do you just like watch documentaries about like cheese making? George, George, do you do you really have to ask? Like, because Jiggy and I, that's all we do. <laughs> I mean, I, we, I know, I know. My show is called Cartoon Commotion. George. <laughs> well, I, well I, you know, but I mean, that's the thing is that you know, if, in your downtime, this is what this is what you do professionally. But okay, in your downtime, you know, okay. To answer the, I, I, so see, for... see, like for me, I I, I read <laughs> actual books that don't have pictures in them. On no. occasion, on occasion, no, I say do. It's re- not so. <laughs> well, I read. I read. A, okay, let's put it I read like at least, on the bare minimum, eight. And the maximum twenty comics a week, but I also fit in some actual book reading as well. So, all right then, George. I feel like I have two questions to answer here. Okay. I have uh, the what I do in my downtime. So, mm. uh, to cleanse the palate between mm-hmm. cartoons, I typically watch '80s and '90s sitcoms. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And live action sitcoms. I I honestly just finished Boy Meets World a little while ago. It was great. Nice. I loved it. I, I especially loved how crazy his older brother got. Um, it, it just it felt very relatable because I'm kind of nuts. <laughs> right on, right on. And then the second question was about comics and books. So mm. my thinking is, um, uh, I got to be completely honest. I got reading for comics. Like I wanted to know what the characters were saying. That was yeah. that was it. I regular books they just didn't stimulate my mind enough. I. I I've read two books in my life, two real full books. Mm-hmm. I've read The Hobbit. Nice. And and I couldn't get through Lord of the Rings because I've seen the movies and I've seen the extended editions, so I've basically read them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it's a it's a it's a big book. It is. Yeah. I read a sh- the short story, The Christmas Carol. A uh, Christmas oh, Carol. There you go. Nice. My favorite because uh, the I've, my favorite Christmas movie is the man who uh, the man who invented Christmas. Oh yeah, uh, it is amazing. And getting the book was that context that I needed for completely understanding the world that he was constructing in his mind. So there you go. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. That's what yeah, I do it's... in my tunish downtime. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I've always. Basically, my first comic was bought for me when I was about three years old. Uh, Dad got it for me. Uh, it was Avengers 163. Uh, I have three copies of that book. Uh, so, yes, I still actually have the copy that I had when I was three years old. It does not have a cover. Uh, it has crayon uh, written on the first page, Avengers 163, so I knew which book it was. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and so then I bought a copy later on, and then uh, a few years back I found an even nicer copy that looks like it's brand new, and so there's my third copy of the book. But yeah, that is my first comic. 
Uh, so that's one book I'll always treasure and never get rid of. But, I mean, I grew up on, uh, you know, Bullfinch's Greek mythology, Norse mythology. Uh, my first grown-up book was Lord of the Rings uh, when I was like eight years old. So, you know, I've read like a lot of kids' books that I got, but like my first, when I thought, what thought to myself, this is my first grown-up book. L-O-T-R, baby. Oh, eight yeah. Years old. You know, I actually forgot I did read a lot of like, I guess, kids' fiction growing up, but that I don't know. Like, I... I never considered they were always very, very vivid in comparison to like regular books. <laughs> mm, yeah. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that that's. I my reading was really comics. <laughs> nice. Okay. So I did, well, I did a lot of that. Well, it, uh, for college, um, I was you know an English major uh, with a, a creative writing uh, concentration. So. Even with just doing creative writing, I still had to do a lot of literature stuff. So you have to read a lot of books if you're anywhere in the English major, you know, realm of college. You know, makes sense. And totally so, makes yeah. sense. So there, there's I've read read tons and tons of stuff. So throughout my throughout when I was time there, but of course there's a lot of stuff I've read on my own. And uh, my junior year of high school is a very transformative period. I basically uh, was introduced into the transcendentalists. So I got into like. Henry David Thoreau and Ralph Waldo Emerson, and then basically a couple of wacky folks said, hey, you need to check out this guy Kerouac. And I'm like, oh, there's all the beat poets over there. And then basically someone introduced me to Hunter... Oh, no, my uncle introduced me to Hunter S. Thompson. So, hey, this is a Louisville guy here. And I'm like, zing, counterculture, I'm in. So, yeah. So wow. I've always yeah, <laughs> I've, I've always been a weirdo thanks to those gentlemen. Uh, so it's uh, made me a very... Uh, 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 outrageous thinker and uh, somebody who basically kind of is fairly self-aware of who we are. Hey, so, you know, yeah. weird weird can be wonderful. It adds a lot of character. Yeah. And I mean, I know a thing or two about cartoon characters. So You do. Yeah. You, I'd say you know a lot about that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so let's get focused here on our actual topic here of favorite cartoons of all time. Uh, okay. we, had, we had a lot of comments uh, when I basically I posted this episode of people chiming in. So we already got a couple of votes for G.I. Joe. We Absolutely. had a few votes. Yeah, had a few votes for uh, Batman the Animated Series. Um, Are we and, counting and, votes? Well, so, not, re- not really. Just basically more. It, there was a couple of people who said, I like this, and they all said the same thing. So Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, so I was thinking it was like individual, like, this is me, you know, kind of like. like it for, is. Speaking of the uh, viewers and listeners, uh, like when they submit, it's like this is their personal, you know, favorite of all time kind of thing. Absolutely. So, there, there's no competition here. I mean, yeah. um, wait, I mean, it's hard to do. It's very hard to do because after absolutely. you've seen a couple greats, it's hard to compare. Uh, yeah. You could not put, like, X-Men the Animated Series on the same table as Looney Tunes. It's just... It's right. a whole different vibe. <laughs> you know? I mean, mm-hmm. the theme song alone sets them apart. We got a complete <laughs> comedy, and then you got this, like, rock epic? <laughs> and, and it all depends of which, you know, intro for Looney Tunes we're talking about. Because they had True. so many over the decades. You know, we, we, got, we went the, the old, you know, overture, cut the lights. You I know, was thinking went, of the, um, what's it called? It's like broken... Um, it's not. Oh, merry-go-round broke down. That's it. Merry-go-round yep. broken down. That's that's the vibe I was thinking for the main Looney yeah. Tunes thing. Everybody knows it. Yep. Everybody knows it as soon as you think of Looney Tunes. 
Yep, exactly. Yeah, so da, yeah, that, da, da, da. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that's a classic one. Of course, like you know, la- you know, uh, later on Looney Tunes fans, there was the old Roadrunner theme that uh, if anybody saw The Shining, you remember, remember hearing it in that as well. Because when you know, uh, oh shoot, little boy. Anyway, when he's watching cartoons, he's watching you know, the old Roadrunner. He's coming after you. You know, it, you know that, that whole thing. You know. So, but to continue the discussion, my yes. thinking is like. Still, very hard to compare Overture, Kurt, and Lights to mm-hmm. <laughs> X-Men, the animated series. Very hard to compare. So, like, when you say favorite cartoon of all time, I, I honestly, I couldn't say that any one of these are all time. Like, I have loads of favorites, but yeah. um, as if you were to ask me, if I had no choice but to pick just one out of the hundreds that I love and that I dig into, it would be Batman the Animated Series because nice. it was the first time my eyes were open to the depth of the absolutely radalicious art form. It showed me that there's more than one angle to every great story. It just absolutely. so much more to care about. I mean, because we, we've had cartoons that had excellent animation. You know, the 80s mm-hmm. were filled with them. But you're right. It was extremely cinematic with the way everything was structured, with the way everything was shot, even though it's cartoon, <laughs> the way it was drawn. Uh, Perspective. Yeah, but the music fit along with it. You had very good seasoned theatrical voice actors doing this stuff. So, I mean, this was, a, and it premiered on primetime television. This was not a Saturday morning or a, a, a after school show. This is a prime time premiere. So this is a very serious product here. The goal was keeping a cinematic feel after the Michael Keaton films mm-hmm. uh, and focusing in on making each episode feel like it was a film of itself, like yeah. in and of itself. Absolutely. So when you watch one episode, you get like a miniature film experience. And I think they nailed it. Mm hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The psychology that went into it really made me think. You know, in in an animated show that could make you think made me start thinking about, like, other animated shows and how they operate and why they did things the way they did. And that's part of the reason why I do what I do on my show is because I can look into that psychology, the the thought process behind it. Like, upcoming this, this upcoming week... On Wednesday, you're going to mm-hmm. get a bonus, a piece of bonus content from Cartoon Commotion about Ooh. how Gem and the Holograms was actually about selfishness. Now, don't read into that title. You're going to enjoy it. Okay. Okay. It, that's the reason I named it that, because it makes you think just like Batman the Animated Series. Interesting. Yeah, it's one thing, too, to plug, you know, your show in Cartoon Commotion, uh, is that you really do delve into the cartoons and kind of delve into the, some of the psychology of what the show was structured around or why the show was the way it was or what lessons it's trying to impart on children. Uh, and I always appreciate that because you, you have a good flair for research and uh, delving into that stuff. So kudos to you, sir. Thank you, you George. And I appreciate your community and this whole channel you've got going on here. With this, <laughs> this structure is very uh, open floor discussion, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, um, I, I mean, I've done the I've done the more professional stuff before, so I'm like, this was kind of what the <laughs> I wanted to do the antithesis of that, make it very off the cuff and loose and fun. So, well, you said it best. Like you said, you're you are a weirdo, and I I branded myself as your favorite cartoon weirdo, so I can relate. <laughs> There you go. Um, but, yeah, so... Oh, uh, real oh, quick. Sorry, yes, yeah, please. On the psychology, the the whole mm. thing that you just said, 
the reason I do that I f is because I think a lot of us just stick with that first nostalgic experience. Like, when you're watching the cartoon and just casually enjoying it, it's great. There's no problem with that. But I think that's what I bring to the table that it won't give it to that it won't give it to you just naturally. Right. Like you're gonna go back and watch that cartoon after I'm done talking about it and see it in an entirely different way, and that's what I'm trying to bring you. I'm trying to bring you that experience today. You you've so, done well. You you've done that for me because uh, you basically you know had a nice. Uh, thing talking about Spider-Man as amazing friends and right. how like throughout that whole you know series they really pushed forward the friends and like these are good people and they're actually good to each other you know like we always knew there was the uh, the, the romantic triangle between Spider-Man and Firestorm and Iceman and you know one liked one but one didn't like the other so but they always kind of crossed paths but then at the same time like you pointed out Peter and Iceman did not try to step on each other's toes no, they didn't. or one-up each other. It's kind of like, let the lady choose for herself, but she's got to know, hey, we're both India, so there you go. <laughs> so, but yeah. There, but, that was yeah. such a that was such a great topic because mm. I, it forced me to confront the idea that they were constantly pushing the friend-zoned element. Because, yeah. like, I mean, what you've got here is a show that's almost like forcing them to be to remain in a friend zone. <laughs> like yeah, all the exactly. time, there's you're, there's you're no escape. Right. There's no escape of the friend zone, and it's <laughs> it's it's something. It's it's both great and a little uh, unusual because I mean you have a situation where he's almost about to Peter, being he is mm -hmm. almost about to run off with an alien woman, uh, just out of the blue. She came from space and she met. They barely knew each other, and automatically, boom, they're in love and he's about ready to go and leave the planet well i mean they only had 21 minutes so you know come on. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, we gotta get things going here man <laughs> but in that same episode angelica full-on kisses him yeah yeah and and that's her parting gift like she's ready for him to leave the planet so there's these it constantly goes back to the idea of unmet love in that show yeah it really does it always does and <laughs> and i think that that depth is worth the analysis and i will be returning to that eventually nice nice but yes again that's i appreciate your analysis on stuff here thank you very uh, much and and uh, giving a little more love to oh gee uh, yeah he he also he wants to remind you he he did have a part to play in that analysis <laughs> yes yes uh, yeah let, let's not leave jiggy out here jiggy does have some in-depth comments as well you, you gotta know how to speak pig though it's kind of like, oh, yeah. like, like Groot, you know? It's like, you, you gotta, like, listen in between the words, you know? That sort of thing like that. That's, that's how you get it. It's easier for me, because I spend the most time with Jiggy, you know? It's my true, buddy. but, yeah, but, I mean, you just, you, you, I, mean I, I, I talk cat, and, you know, pigs and cats are too terribly far off, you no, know, I so. haven't. I have heard you interpret him pretty well, actually. You know, I mean, he's... he's Clever dude. I mean, it's the same. He's got stuff to say. <laughs> and he's really skilled with the banjo. Self-taught. No kidding. Which is... Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, too. You know, let's talk about playing the banjo here. It involves <laughs> a lot of picking and finger work. Pigs have hooves. So... Well, it's like a hoof pick, man. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's like... That's, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Is a lot of times, you know, good banjo players don't use a pick. Sometimes they... Use the fingers, and you know, <laughs> you know. So it's just, I'm, I'm, imp I'm impressed all around with Jiggy. It really. Well, you got to think. You got to think. It's also cartoon physics we work with, so it's a lot easier. Very true. 
Very it's a lot that, easier for Jiggy than a, a typical pig to play the banjo. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that hoof has a little bit of uh, flexibility to it. I so. would like to see someone make a video where they try to get a pig to play the banjo. Like a real pig, like outside of animation. Mm. Yeah. Right. That would be interesting to that see how, interesting. how yeah. well they pick up the, the tunes, you know? <laughs> I mean, pigs are pretty <laughs> smart animals anyway, so just saying, you know. <laughs> oh, and you know, if you guys want to leave a comment, what other um, what other theme songs should Jiggy do a cover of? That would be interesting. Okay, okay. Um, hmm. I mean, the old '60s Spider-Man uh, theme mm-hmm. was always a classic. Um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's one. Um, Let's see here. I mean, well, you're talking about, you know, the old Looney Tunes, Mary Melody stuff. So there's some, a lot of classic stuff in there, so. Very much so. Well, yeah. like, you know, I mean, speaking in the realm of favorite cartoons, 80s and 90s, that's kind of what we do on Cartoon Commotion. Mm-hmm. Just, the, just for a quick spiel, I mean, we're plugging all the all the time here. Uh, what we Please. do on Cartoon uh, Commotion is we go back through the cartoons of yesterday in the 80s and 90s to provide you a new perspective nowadays for your life today. And Jiggy helps me with all of that, and he does covers of theme songs from all kinds of 80s and 90s cartoons. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing, he did, at the start of this show, he did the G.I. Joe movie theme. Movie theme, it, yeah. I mean, he sat down and listened to that thing so many times. I am so proud of my little ham. You did a good job, buddy. Way to go, Jiggy. Uh, t- yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. So, but yeah, and, and that's the thing too is if you know, even if it's a show you're not familiar with, there, yeah, I mean, Kate does a great job of breaking things down uh, and really just kind of just welcoming you in, introducing you to these shows here. I mean, if it's something you're not familiar with, I mean, come on, we talked about Mr. T and Chuck Norris, the Karate Commando. That was about so a much fun. Ago. Oh yeah, because those, I'm, I'm those flashbacks. Are, well, I mean, because both those shows are both ridiculous in their own way, shape, and form. Uh, more so the Karate Commandos show. Yeah, Mr. T was better. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, here's here's a funny thing, too. Nice, funny aside. Um, Marvel did do a Chuck Norris Karate Commandos comic book. Right. And, and if we uh, remember that the cartoon only made it five episodes, the comic, four issues. Wow, it got even <laughs> one less than the show. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, I should be disappointed, but I'm I'm kind of just I'm just I, am I at a point where I'm just expecting this? Yeah, it really is. And honestly, the best part of the show was not the actual cartoon. It's the Chuck Norris PSAs before <laughs> and after each episode that could have easily been titled uh, "Bored and uh, Awkward." So it could be uh, Chuck Norris bored and confused. Yes, yes, very, <laughs> very confused. Wow. Yeah, so I mean, it's like we're talking about fire safety on an episode we're in Antarctica or something like that, or you know, be yourself, kids. Here's the episode Island of the Living Dead, and that was like real zombies. What? What? That was real zombies. Okay, so like, I okay, do I want to go this far and suggest that this episode might have actually inspired Scooby Doo Zombie Island? Possibly. Because it's, it's a very similar theme with the whole voodoo and everything, and the zombies, and the I mean, it's. Yeah. But be uh, yourself. <laughs> yeah, be, be yourself, kids. Be yourself. That was so oh great. I mean, by yeah. great, I mean terrible. Um. Right, yeah. But sometimes, <laughs> but see, that's the thing. I am appreciator of things that are great when they are, are actually terrible. Like, one of my all-time favorite movies is Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the original. <laughs> they made a cartoon of that. 
This they did. It was a very good cartoon, too. You know, the, um, the irony uh, in this whole flashback here is that Mr. T was actually pretty good. It was. Uh, I mean, it had the same corniness, but I think the thing that made it great was that Mr. T genuinely cared and that came through. You could see that. And then, yeah. like, because when he was talking about the kids and stuff, he genuinely meant it. Yeah, and in absolutely. real life, like his PSA segments, you could see that when he was giving those messages, he wanted to make sure that the audience genuinely, the kids watching, genuinely felt that he cared. Absolutely. So I, I guess Mr. T won out because he was Mr. T. <laughs> well, he, was, he was authentic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He was, I mean, that's the thing is, that, you know, you see Mr. T, you know, from in 1983, you see Mr. T in 2023. Same dude. He's just a little older, a little smaller, but another. But his his message is the same. You know, don't do drugs. Love your mama. You know, listen to your teachers and stuff like that. And you know, all all, all the good positive stuff. You know, be your best self, sort of thing like that. And that's been his message for decades. So, and of course, he made a you know tasty breakfast cereal too. So <laughs> the the corniness of the show matched the sweetened corn cereal that he sold in stores. So there and the go. cereal had like a picture of him as a cartoon character, mm-hmm. and then the the tea the the cereals were sh- the cereal bits were shaped like teas. Like teas, yeah. And it I was think basically, that it, is it, just it was just it was so just Captain Crunch. It was just it's Captain iconic. Crunch. But it it's iconic. Ca- it is actually it absolutely is iconic. But it was it was basically just Captain Crunch shaped like teas. So. Or was it Captain <laughs> T? <laughs> mm, there you go. That's a chicken or egg sort of question there. <laughs> well, we actually, gotta... even better, they could have rebranded the cereal as Captain Crunch, but Mr. T edition. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, we need to come back. We need to come back here. Uh, we got some. We got a bunch of comments here, so don't want to leave the folks out here. Uh, Ryan Permission, one of our other fellow co-hosts here, uh, the uh, host Fox of Network. He, oh, there's a bunch of shows he does. There, there's a well, couple there's... that. And there's I a couple quote. In the, yeah. And I uh, quote, comic books, the new class. Mm-hmm. That's a Does good Does that there. with uh, Crayley. Yep. And I, and I like that show being an old school comic reader because I like to live vicariously through new readers. Because, I mean, I've been reading for 40 plus years. So unless it's brand new, I've pretty much read it all. Uh, or if it's worth reading, then I've definitely read it. But they being new readers, I liked them seeing how they experience, you know, major story arcs or big stories that have been adapted into movies or TV shows or whatever else. So I like seeing them take interest in that and, you know, what they pull out of it as well. So it's, it's fun for me. So, so George... Yes. Uh, okay, wait, go ahead, read the comment, then oh, I'll yes. ask you. <laughs> yes, okay. Uh, so Ryan Permission showing up saying his favorite cartoons are Spider-Man, I assume the 90s, because, uh, well, yeah, they're all 90s yeah, shows all here. 90s so. shows. Yeah, so Spider-Man, X-Men, Batman the Animated Series. So, And Spider-Man's had multiple cartoons. Uh, That's but yeah, true. But the 90s Spider-Man cartoon was a par excellence. Yes, I agree. I think so, it's the best introduction to Spider-Man because, like, it that's, really is. that's pretty much where I got into it. And you just kind of, like, you, you, could, you learn all the basics in that show. Every bit that really, truly matters about Spider-Man is presented you there. Yeah, and they did a great job with his rogues gallery too. Pretty much everybody was in there, or anybody was a Spider-Man adjacent hero or anti-hero. I mean, they had the friggin' Punisher on the Spider-Man sh- well, show. That's the thing is they kind of made Kingpin sort of a sort of his villain, and he was originally sort of Daredevil's villain. So uh, uh, Sp- uh, Kingpin has been shared. Uh, by many heroes, Spider-Man definitely has had lots of run-ins with him. Punisher and Daredevil, absolutely. But, but I think yeah. that show kind of cemented it for all the '90s kids. Like Kingpin is Spider-Man's villain. What is he doing over here? <laughs> it's basically because Daredevil wasn't properly represented. But uh, but yeah, you're right though. Uh, but yeah, it, basically any of the street-level heroes 
um, are going to have a major dealing with Kingpin at least once in their career, if not multiple times. And those three heroes definitely have dealt with him multiple times. So I remember distinctively when he was getting the key to the city and the Hobgoblin shows up. That was mm-hmm. that was like a golden moment right there because it, it kind of set the tone for a lot of adventures to come. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't shortly after it started either. I think not You're too right. long. I believe so. Yeah. Uh, we're getting lots of lovely comments in here. Uh, Sherry's saying that she enjoys, enjoys both of our shows, uh, both have uh, are both knowledgeable and are downright fun. So thank you very much. Appreciate Epicness. that. Epicness. <laughs> That's our new call sign here. <laughs> uh, Kelly Hawkins says, "How do you both do it? Love these shows. Thank you very How much, Kelly. How do we Kelly. do it? How do we do it? Uh, we spend a lot of time indoors. Well, George, you in our... live in a comic book shop. Well, yeah." And- and I live in an animated universe. Yeah, so there you go. <laughs> That's how we do it. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know why the donuts are so good, because we live in a bakery. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, Sherry chiming in says another good cartoon is the original Scooby Doo. Yes, Scooby Doo, where are you? Yeah, great classic stuff there. I don't uh, mean to point this out because, but I I see it and it's just so wonderful. She accidentally wrote uh, Scooby Foo there. <laughs> oh yeah there you go I love the and villains I just, of, yeah. I just love it because you know I mean it could be karate or kung fu that's true yeah Scooby Fu I think there it? actually was a moment where he did uh, like a um, karate chopping move in the original show yes he did yeah and of course Scrappy was also very uh, uh, aggressive so I love, sure. he was more of a street fighter though she pointed out the creeper, and I love the creeper. Yeah, the creeper is great. Love that creeper. Yeah. That was 1969, and we are talking about Scooby Doo tomorrow on Back of the Cereal Box podcast. Nice. So don't miss it. 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Oh god! Hey, uh, Sherry says uh, creeper was a tall, th- uh, tall, thin, creepy guy by night. Too funny. Uh, yeah, he was like did. he was like a big fat banker dude in the, by day. So it's like yeah, that's right. Yeah, impossible to fit in the. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So the other. Yeah. That's right. He was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Overweight old man, and then suddenly he was a thin guy. But yeah, and announces his arrival. Doesn't make any logical sense, but it doesn't have to. <laughs> doesn't have to. It's a car. It's a cartoon. So, Creeper uh, was fun too because, and a lot of people thought, and myself included, that he was saying like his own name when he was like Creeper. Mm-hmm. Well, what he's what he's actually saying is paper, and ah. yeah, yeah. So he's following them around to try to get this piece of paper that's a photographic evidence of himself. But see, the thing, the thing that I couldn't get over is why are you telling them that they have evidence against you? Yeah, and actually letting them know what it actually is, you know? Because it's so incriminating <laughs> that it's like, oh, well, obviously, it's not really a monster. <laughs> but oh, Creeper... Yeah, because monsters aren't worried about evidence. <laughs> I love the creeper just his his whole design is phenomenal excellent um, i actually have a creeper mask i think i got it for um a christmas gift one year nice yeah it's properly on display over on my shelves of figurines <laughs> actually yeah, i i got i got a few of those figures myself back over here yes so. let's go over that a little bit so on top row is that gi joe yeah so all the stuff up here uh those are the gi joe classifieds uh so right now my collection is a uh, duke Snake Eyes, Stalker, uh, Flint, my girl Lady J, uh, Zartan, the Cobra Island Firefly that was a Target exclusive, but uh, they're coming out with a more traditional Firefly uh, here in the near future. 
Uh, Tomax and Zaymont flanking a Crimson Guardsman. Wow. Uh, Major Blood, Storm Shadow, uh, Cobra Viper, Rakondo, this is the Tiger Force Rakondo, uh, Lieutenant Falcon, Spirit, and Freedom, and then uh, Kamakura, one of the more recent uh, ninja characters who uh, later on becomes Snake Eyes when the OG wow. is okay, still can you? Are we capable of showing a close-up of Freedom, the detail? Because I want to see... I, I, I couldn't see the eagle. <laughs> I want to see the eagle. I'm just... I'm interested to see how much how much detail is put in go. these. Because these okay. the classified line is amazing. Oh, yeah. I love the classified line here. So, yeah. So Look at here's, that! And that the nice, nice. That and the nice thing is, Freedom actually comes with two different wing sets. So this is the wings down, and then he actually comes up with another wing set you could take off and have them all you know, wings spanned out and look oh, like that's he's awesome. flying or whatever else. And very that nice is stuff. awesome. Yeah, so yeah, good stuff. Uh, and then I do have a couple of the uh, Super Seven Reaction GI Joe figures. So over on the wall, I have the. Uh, Snake Eyes and Duke when they were locked in Mortal Kombat with like the energy weapons. Yeah, uh, that episode. was uh, the second miniseries. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it sure was. And uh, then he picked the up Revenge the spear. The it was like a Revenge of Cobra. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we, <laughs> he we picked had, up this trident thing. That's right. Yeah, Snake Eyes had a trident and a net, whereas Duke had basically a lightsaber. <laughs> uh, and over the weapon here, choices are superb. Yeah, they really are. Yeah. Uh, and then over here, uh, I've got a reaction of Mutt and Junkyard. Um, and there's actually a great backstory uh, why I love Mutt and Junkyard so much. Um, when I was a kid, I had a Mutt and Junkyard action figures. And my sister, who's uh, three years younger than I am, she liked playing with any of my animal figures that I would have with any of the toys, right? And so I let her play with Junkyard one day and, you know while back. I'm like, hey, where's my dog? Can't find it. And so I remembered uh, I let her borrow it. It's like, hey, where's Junkyard? Where's the dog at? And she buried the dog in a flower bed and forgot where she buried it and tried <laughs> looking for it. Couldn't find the dog. Looked all over. We even, I went out there and helped her. We couldn't find this thing anywhere. Wow. Flash, flash forward a good Almost 10 years when we're moving out of the house and we're going to a different home. And so we're doing a lot of renovations and stuff like that. And so we're digging up all these flower beds and making the yard look a little more normal and presentable to a new family. Sure enough, we find the dog somewhere in one of those deep flower beds there. So, uh, And I had since purchased wow. another Mutt and Junkyard figure, so I now have two Junkyards. So, but yeah, well, that, so I just. I mean, that's cool. That's a good story. Yeah, I, I, got, I love it. I mean, it's a it's a very weird situation, but it's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a running it's a joke. My, it's a running joke my sister and I always have. Like anytime we're bickering or something back and forth, I feel like, well, you buried my dog. So. <laughs> As opposed to like a dog burying a bone, this is a this is a girl burying a, a dog. This yes. is a very fun situation. But An after unusual. After being in the ground for nearly a decade, he was just fine. He was a little dusty, but he was fine. So, because he was that is, well, uh, and you know, I find well, it ironic that you don't have a three point seventy five of Lady J, but I do. <laughs> uh, well, no, uh, I, I got the nicer upgraded version because this you one. Got, like, okay, the classified. Yeah, yeah, the classified Lady J is really nice because. Um, unlike the 3.75 or like they actually have done like a 6 inch version 
of the 3.75 uh, Lady J. It's a Walmart right. exclusive. Um, she still has the traditional look that she did um, in the you know, the 80s toy, whereas this one, she's a little more looking like the cartoon. She has multiple javelins with different removable heads. Uh, so, And she also does have the ball cap, too, that her action figure had. So you can change your head out and have the ball cap with a little hair sticking out, or you can just have the ball cap off and have her, uh, you know, brunette locks. You know, there you go. So well, there, you, yeah, there's a lot of uh, options there. In the, yeah. Well, you know, speaking of cartoon accuracy, did you see that they are coming out with a cartoon accurate filmation He-Man line? I sure did. Yes. That was I saw that on Twitter just the other Very day, and I was like, exciting. And there was somebody who was like, "Are you excited for this?" And I'm like, "It's all I've ever wanted in a, in mm-hmm. a He-Man line." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. Exactly ex- exactly what I would want to collect. I mean, I love the idea of collecting the retro line because it, it gets this sort of, like, uh, re-collection uh, going on with, like, bringing the old stuff back into current time, and I, I mm-hmm. love that because it's very timeless that way. But cartoon accuracy is my thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, that's how I collect my, my toys. If I could get cartoon accurate He-Man... Heck yeah, that sounds awesome. This will entice you as well. Uh, of course, this is probably going to be a much more pricey figure than what the uh, animated toys are going to be. But uh, I think pre-orders are, you could take, you uh, do pre-orders now. I saw on uh, Big Bad Toy Store, hashtag not a sponsor. Um, <laughs> but uh, there is a, I can't remember the name of the company that's putting it out. Uh, but it's basically a deluxe He-Man figure. This is like a nice like display quality kind of He-Man figure. He, I believe he's like a 12-inch tall uh, sort of thing like that. Lots of articulation. Uh, the weapons have metal, you know, like coating on them, cloth, you know, clothing, sort of stuff like that. But his level of posability is amazing. And the two most iconic He-Man poses from the cartoon that you could never, ever do with any figure, you can do with this figure. Where he's basically holding the sword aloft, doing the I have the power sort of thing, and the sword can be straight up vertical and not like at a weird sideways angle or whatever else because your He-Man can't bend his wrist. Yeah, that is something because you still cannot do that with the Super 7 Lion-O. Right, right. You still can't. I mean, I have the Super or- 7 Lion-O. You cannot hold it straight up. Uh, I've got the, this is the Origins uh, He-Man line that you can find on toy shelves uh, today. Um, Excellent. They have, a, they have a little more posability, but not much. Uh, but the other iconic pose that He-Man, you always said him do, is basically holding the sword like this, where he's yeah. about ready to you know, launch it over to Cringer and turn him into Battle Cat. This also, this toy can do this pose as well. So, great posability, wonderful cloth and metal and stuff like that, and a price tag of $250. For just $250, you can do the two and a half poses that you could never do before, and with realistic cloth, what more could you want? I mean, it's the, <laughs> it's the, it's the absolute ultimate He-Man figure. I'm like, it, good yeah. lord. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you know, if reasonably so, we got to admit that that is the ultimate figure of yeah. He-Man. Absolutely. <laughs> did we get more comments? I see. Oh, we got lots of comments here. We, 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 uh, yes, we, I want to, don't want to forget our folks here. So, uh, talking more about uh, the, the Mr. T cartoon, Dave Magley chiming in saying, to be fair, real life Mr. T is 80% cartoon. You know, he wrote that kind of like it's a bad thing. 
No, it's it's not. It really isn't. It's but not. you know, it's it's a good it's a, it's it's a good explanation though. It's uh, true. Dave also chiming in saying, speaking of celebrity cartoons, he enjoyed the Jackie Chan adventures. Yes. Now we got to yeah. talk about irony here because Jackie Chan adventures was not actually voiced by Jackie Chan. Yeah, no kidding. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. Now see, uh. Mr. T voiced Mr. T. And even Chuck Norris sort of voiced Chuck Norris. I mean, he he was Chuck Norris. <laughs> he, he was. I mean, it, he, he voiced Chuck Norris in the way that only Chuck Norris can voice something in the most monotone, non-emotional way ever. I think we need to stop making Chuck Norris jokes and start making Tom Selleck jokes, I'll be to be fair. <laughs> I like Tom Selleck, though. No, no, in a good way. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Like, like you know, like only Chuck Norris can prevent fire, uh, wildfires. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> but like, start putting, start putting Tom Selleck in there, because you know, honestly, he he could act. He could, yeah, very much so. <laughs> uh, Dave chiming in saying that uh, Captain Crunch, oops, all Mr. T's. See, I love there it. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. I love it. Here. That's the new combo that they need to do. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Bring and it back. Uh, uh, and Dave makes a good plug here for our buddy Ryan Permissen. Uh, after this show, or actually probably going on right now, maybe maybe just started, that he's doing a watch-along of the original Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse of the Black Pearl. So, wow. Yeah, there you go. So and, uh, after sitting watching us uh, have fun there, you can uh, sit and watch a movie and hear other people <laughs> talk about it. So, so it's if like you're a, not, it's like a podcast, but without the visual, you gotta you gotta sit and watch the movie. Well, it's hard to, for you, me to grasp the concept. <laughs> you, well, you have to you have to basically provide your own visual, essentially, because we, you know, they don't have the rights to actually show the movie while they're sitting there talking about. It. So you can watch it at the privacy of your own home, or you know, you watch it you on your streaming, phone. Streaming, you've got video stores. I highly recommend you find a video store, much like a comic store. They are small businesses that need your support. They they have video stores again. They do. It's uh, usually um, it's resale, but it's in the sense of uh, like video game store. But they have other options. I have That's cool. uh, okay. I have a couple that are an hour away from me, nice. and so I make a trip out there every now and then. I'm going out there on the 29th. Going to be repping the brand, and we're going to be hitting up a couple video stores. My favorite is Media Reload. Nice. Okay. That's pretty cool. I like that. So if so. you want to look the look them up, they're uh, they're in Michigan. That's where my human world resides. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Dave Mattingly chiming in saying uh, the '90s Spider-Man cartoon even included the Spider-Verse and the Spot. Yes, he did. So yes, yeah, so the yeah. '90s Spider-Man cartoon included just so much of the Spider-Man mythology here. Gotta say, <clears throat> gotta say that Spider-Verse uh, ending was. I mean, to be fair, that was the first time. We got the yeah. real Spider-Verse. That, that's where yeah. it happened. I know, right? That was pretty cool. A lot uh, of firsts in the 90s, guys. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sherry commenting on all of her, uh, the figures I was showing off there. So uh, Sherry sh- asked me to show off my loot, which we just did there. Um, did we know how Snake Eyes came to exist? Um, uh, okay, so... Basically, with the original toy line, it came with like the Ninja Commando, and I think yeah, he, yeah, he was he was he wasn't the Ninja stuff didn't come until later on. He was labeled as a Commando, yeah. So yeah, but he was always kind of like the stealth op or something, um, right? Because he was always in the black suit. I mean, in the original miniseries, he was in sort of a, a Ninja Blue, like a. It, I don't was, know, it, I, it was the same suit, but it was kind of tinted bluish. Yeah, you're right. 
and it only got a little darker uh, upon the second miniseries with the Revenge of Cobra. Right. Um, and it changed form a little. It got more iconic Snake Eyes. But um, yeah, basically the 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 visor kind of thing mm-hmm. came with the second uh, model of the character in what was like eighty four something like that and that's what kind of everybody is now kind of accepted as the iconic snake eyes like you said that's where you first got his ninja sword too and he comes with the timber of the wolf so yeah so that's right. that, that was that was ninja snake eyes or strange enough as a lot of kids back in the day for some reason called him electric snake eyes I don't know why they called that him electric that is interesting cause I don't know why he was called electric snake eyes well I know in later iterations with the toy they came with variations on his character uh, yeah <laughs> But um, back back to like how he came to exist. I think Larry Hama doing the story of these characters like mm-hmm. is, I, I guess you could say that's pretty much how it happened. Was like these these characters had personality because of Larry Hama. Right. Um, the personalities were crafted there and then expounded uh, expounded on with Ron uh, Friedman mm-hmm. in the original miniseries and then expounded on further as the show progressed. So right. Uh, uh, and- Simply, the the initial concept, I think, is just the toy. Well, and the thing is, too, is that, uh, like you were saying with Larry Hama, of course, Larry started off writing all the file cards. He was a writer for Marvel uh, mm-hmm. and had been doing some stuff you know, with them for you know a, a period of time anyway after he, because he's also an Army veteran as well. Um, so that was one of the key things with getting him to write the G.I. Joe comic book, is that he was a uh, Army vet. He was in Vietnam, so he had a lot of credibility to come with. Uh, wow. But but he was given the task of writing the file cards for the original nine characters, and all the characters are based on people he served with, whether it was friends of his or commanding officers or whatever else. All those original nine characters were based off people he knew. Larry uh, Hama served with the ninja. Uh, Snake Eyes was his nickname. Snake he Eyes served was with the l- ninja. That no, was no, no, nicknamed no, no. Snake Eyes. No, Larry Hama was the ninja. Larry- oh. Larry Hama's nickname, his like you know, with the you know, everybody kind of you know, they had nicknames for each other. Yeah, his nickname was Snake Eyes. I guess it was like gambling sort of thing like that. and He wasn't very good at it. But, okay, uh, but okay, yeah, that, that, that that's makes where a lot more I- sense. That's where Snake Eyes <laughs> comes from. Uh, but then, basically, where the ninja stuff came from was uh, the 1980s. Because right. <laughs> ninja, n- n- everybody loves ninjas in the 1980s. Thank you, Shokazuki. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. So, but, okay, th- you so, taught me something, because I didn't know that Larry Hama was a vet. I know... Yes, sir. Uh, I have some information on... So, tomorrow night, we're going to be covering G.I. Joe again. We're going to be going over on Cartoon Commotion. We're going to be going over the first and second miniseries with a focus on the heart of a hero. And the final note I have is also on, uh, well, Army, but it's an entirely different person. So I'm, I'm interested to learn about Larry Hama's career as well. That's yeah. cool. I think uh, that's cool that you brought the comic book angle for me. Thank you, George. Hey, you're very welcome. My pleasure. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is that Larry is so attached with the G.I. Joe property because writing the cards and then writing... Trying to think how the original G.I. Joe series went 162 issues, um, had a couple other like iterations through different companies, and then when IDW Publishing got the rights, they said, Let's bring Larry back. They brought Larry back literally with issue 163. And then Larry continued the book until IDW just lost the franchise, uh, where he ended with issue 300. Leaving us on a cliffhanger, so fans were hoping Larry would come back to the book, and the good news is he is. 
uh, Image Comics uh, pulled a fast one on us. Robert Kirkman pulled a fast one on us as well. Um, Robert, of course, from the creator of The Walking Dead, uh, pulled a fast one on comic readers who were fans of The Walking Dead and basically did not tell us when the last issue of the book was coming up until after it dropped. Um, and he's done a similar surprise again because he had a new book come out uh, that's now in its second issue called Void Rivals. It seemed like it was a new sci-fi book, new world sort of thing like that. But hey, cool, Kirkman, we'll check it out. In towards probably about like three quarters of the way into the book, all of a sudden we have a cameo by the Transformer Jetfire out of nowhere. Minds are blown. People are like, what is going on? And then we get to the end of the book, and there's a letters page in there, and basically Robert Kirkman is explaining that we are now in the Energon universe, which is now a shared universe between G.I. Joe and the Transformers. So this November, uh, we're going to get new books from Image Comics, from uh, Transformers. We're getting uh, two different... Uh, there's one book that's uh, a Duke comic, one that's a Cobra Commander comic, but most importantly... Larry Hama is coming back with issue 301 from Image Comics, which will start off kind of where he left off with 300, and then eventually transition into this new shared Energon universe, and also bring back from the dead the original Snake Eyes. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an exciting time to be a fan of that kind of stuff. Wait, wait, let's, let's rewind a minute. Uh, we gotta we gotta go on back to the topic because I I don't know if we've completely covered the idea of, of favorite cartoons of all time. I, I think I've covered one of mine. <laughs> no, I think we got some more comments. Oh yes, please. Let's see what's going on. Anybody else favorite cartoons of all time? No, there's lots of Sherry Edgen and Dave Manningly here. Mm-hmm. Well, because you know they're they're our best fans. We love these guys here. Uh, oh, actually, Sherry had. We were talking about the origin of Snake Eyes. Sherry has a good point here to make here. Uh, talking about the origin of where Snake Eyes came from as a toy. The toy maker took an unpainted toy and put a mask on him because they ran out of money. They originally called him Ninja. Uh, the toy sold like hotcakes. Then Snake Eyes came to be, basically. Uh, very they interesting. Yeah, they apparently couldn't afford a detailed face painting, so that's kind of why his mask is very basic. Uh, but yeah, so they ran out of money and just, hey, we're just making a figure with no face and he's all black and hey, the kids will like him. Very so, interesting. Yeah, but yeah, he was originally billed as a commando, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, the, my first two figures were Snake Eyes and Breaker. Um, and Breaker I always thought was kind of funny in the comics because he always chews on bubblegum. And then, <laughs> yeah, because he's always blowing bubbles. He was funny he, in the cartoon as well. Yeah, because he, he's the communications officer and he's always blowing bubbles. So it's like, how can you communicate when you've got gum in your mouth? I mean, yeah. And he kind of saved the day in the first miniseries with uh, con connecting to uh, Duke in the um, temple or whatever they were hiding in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's a lot of fun. But yeah, again, we just, you know talking about our favorite a broadcast. He was intercepting. I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Getting us back on topic here. Um, I mean, you know, it, again, it's you know it's purely a subjective thing of you know what's everyone else's favorite cartoon because I mean. Aside from G.I. Joe, I, mean, I grew up on a heavy dose of Hanna-Barbera stuff, uh, especially getting into like the action uh, series like uh, Thundar the Barbarian, Space Ghost, the Herculoids. Love that. Love that stuff. Uh, still very much. I, I have the incomplete series on DVD of Thundar the Barbarian because finally Warner Brothers released it. 
So uh, would you say that Thunder the Barbarian is your favorite cartoon of all time? No, because I also <laughs> have uh, the complete series of Dungeons and Dragons because they released a, uh, com- a box set of that. And it's really cool too because the, it's a box set they released several years ago, uh, but it has like uh, a nice detailed book talking about the series, uh, player character sheets of all the characters. So if you're an actual D and D player, you can actually use the kids and playing in your uh, campaign. Uh, but most importantly. It contains a radio play version of the final unfinished episode of Dungeons and Dragons, where the kids actually made it home. Wow! Yeah, I wish they had done that with Silver Surfer because oh, yeah. Silver Surfer ended on a cliffhanger. Also, that was a good show. That was there were some '90s Marvel shows that kind of flew under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, because we had the Iron Man, you had the Fantastic Four, but the Silver Surfer show was really, really good. Did a great job of kind of introducing kids to the uh, the cosmic side of the Marvel universe, and they got deep too. See, I think I got to go back to what you said, like how subjective it is. Mm-hmm. It's cartoons. There's you're always going to have a favorite, but you're you're going to have multiple favorites because they all have they all bring something different to the table. Absolutely, every single one of them, no matter what you do, even if it's like all action cartoons. There's so many ver- there's so much variety in those that Absolutely. you can't just pick one. I mean. Yeah. Biker Mice from Mars is incredibly different from TMNT 87. Yep. It's incredibly different, and yet both are very comparable in the sense that they are both mutated creatures, or at least anthropomorphic creatures, mm-hmm. uh, and they both have this sort of hero identity, and they both kick butt. So it, it's hard to compare every cartoon in existence and say, hey, this is the favorite, this is the best of all time. Absolutely. Because, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's so many other cartoons that were... Uh, you know, well-loved or highly underrated or maybe just because of, you know, rights issues haven't stood the test of time because they haven't had any replay value. But, like, uh, for me, one of the most highly underrated and greatest uh, cartoons of the 90s, Pirates of Darkwater. I have heard tell of this. Yes, yes. I have. Great, it, 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 you know, great. it's a pirate cartoon, but the look of it, the look of the, the design of the characters was very original. Uh, it was an all ages show but sometimes the topics felt a little heavy had a little gravitas to them so you know it felt like you know it could be a show accessed by younger kids and also by older kids and even adults because my dad sometimes will watch it and he liked the show so you know so, oh, there, yeah. so there was a lot of you know resale value there um a show that of course you know we're going to talk about uh probably what in I, I believe it's August. Yeah, August. Uh, one of my favorite shows, Freakazoid. Because Freakazoid. that show was Freakazoid. so, so weird. Uh, broke the fourth wall before Deadpool, before Family Guy. Uh, you know, it just... <laughs> it's true. Oh, it's true. man. It was, it was a way ahead of its time show. Um, yeah. Absolutely love that one. I mean, it was like superhero parody, but it wasn't such a satire as it was just very self-aware. And mm. I think that's the difference between that and, like, say, The Tick. Because, and, and I had mentioned that in my Tick episode uh, when we covered about uh, how The Tick is actually about destiny. Yeah. So if you want to check that out, there's a little plug for you. Go back to Cartoon Commotion and find yeah, that's The good, Tick that's, was about destiny. Yeah, that's a good episode, too. Thank you. And the thing, the thing I like about it, it in that comparison is that it really, really shows you the value that The Tick brings in comparison to Freakazoid. Yeah. Um, the tick being not very self-aware. Not so you at get all. to see it from a completely different perspective. Yeah, he was the the 
the, the complete lack of self-awareness, which is also kind of the most freeing thing about the tick. Um, True. Yeah. I mean, he's just completely like, he is all about, you know, you know, you know, smiting evil and justice and, you know, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So, uh, and he's not aware of the fact that he just destroyed a building because he hopped on it from 30 feet above. You know, or he wrecks somebody. He just somebody. keeps going. <laughs> he just keeps, I mean, he's like, you know, you know, he's like, you know, thank you, citizen, for stopping my fall, and now I'm going to keep on fighting evil, and you just crush somebody. You know, so he's it's like, a oops. tank of nearly unstoppable, uh, n- nigh invulnerability. <laughs> yes. Spoon! <laughs> Spoon! <sighs> yeah, I the love it. The tick is great. I and love it. I, the last bonus episode I had was on the tick, so we exactly. got some of that, too. And see, that's the thing is, like I said, we're just, we're just sitting here, you know, we named like just six cartoons just now. Um, oh my, yes. Yeah. And, and Sherry. You give me flashback, uh, flashbacks. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and Sherry uh, chiming in saying Bugs Bunny was always a classic favorite for me. And see, that's, again, just like, you know, what Dave Mangley mentioned earlier. Looney Tunes, Bugs Bunny stuff, that's my jam, that's where I started. Those um, are fundamental cartoons. Yeah, they, they're uh, the basis of a lot of comedy cartoons, and in, into the '90s, they were the basis of a lot of great Warner Brothers cartoons. Then, like with uh, Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures, and Tasmania is another one that kind of flew underneath the radar. Yeah, yeah well, Tasmania was it was fairly popular when it was on, but yeah, you're right, it didn't have a lot of replay value for whatever reason. But yes, yeah. it's sort of it, blah, it's sort blah, of blah, like blah, yeah. <laughs> created a fandom, but it's like it's it's sort of like relatively unknown today. Yeah, 90s kids remember it, I'm sure, but uh, yeah, it, it didn't have, you know, it, yeah, I guess they just, they've made other Looney Tunes cartoons, so they kind of just keep rolling along, and so, you know, whatever generation you're in, there's probably some sort of representation of Looney Tunes somewhere in there, just, you know, maybe, you know, you only watch, watch like, you know, Marvin the Martian stuff, or whatever else, or you remember Tasmania from the 90s, but like, you know, like me, it's, for me, I'm a firm believer in kind of the... You know, in music that you would be used to be in the, there was kind of a hard line between you were a Beatles fan or you were a Rolling Stones fan in the '60s, right? Um, I am a hard line, uh, definitive believer that you were a Disney or a Looney Tunes fan growing up. Uh, okay. So when you, when you were a child, there are people who are predominantly raised on Disney cartoons, the Disney films, or your your classics from the the '60s and the '70s, and you know even some of the '40s stuff too. You know, the Snow Whites and all that kind of jazz. Uh, but usually, if you grew up on the Disney stuff, you didn't watch as much Bugs Bunny cartoons. Whereas, flip side of that, if you were a Bugs Bunny fan, every Saturday morning you're watching Bugs Bunny like it's church, and you <laughs> don't watch as much Disney stuff. Or like me, you watched zero Disney stuff, unless it was uh, started with the words Tron or The Black Hole. Uh, then you watch that stuff all the time. But I had no love for Mickey Mouse. Um, could never understand Donald Duck uh, for anything. So I actually think that Disney got a lot better in the '90s, like in terms yeah. of like their humor and everything, because they had a oh, lot yeah. of great Disney Afternoon stuff, a lot of a lot of really good uh, kind of follow up Disney Afternoon stuff. Like as mm-hmm. it teetered off into the early 2000s, you got some shows that were kind of obscure, and Goof Troop uh, starting in the '90s was actually really underrated. And I mean that's. That's how you got a goofy movie, and uh, I do plan to talk about both things eventually on Cartoon Commotion. Yeah, and Goofy movie was very popular. I, mean, I remember I was working in movie theaters when that thing came out, and uh, yeah, that was 
That was widely attended and a funny movie too. So. You were there on the dawn, <laughs> I was on, there. The, on the precipice of, <laughs> of the event. You uh, were there. I've been there. For, I've been there for a few things in pop culture. There, so we were talking Lord of the Rings, you know, before the show started here, and uh, we were talking the movies, and uh, there was a screening uh, of theater in Louisville did where they showed the extended cuts of Fellowship and Two Towers, and then the final movie was basically going to be the as brand new theatrical cut of Return of the King. So I was there for a good eight plus hours. Uh, seeing all oh, three of those boy. movies, and then basically ending the night with a midnight screening of Return of the King. So I didn't like get home to like somewhere around dawn or whatnot. But yeah, it was it was amazing. So wow, so, yeah, I mean, firsthand experience like that—that's something to cherish. Yeah, it's, I mean, because you know that yeah, it was it was, it was amazing. It, of course, I mean, it was it was one of those wonderful fan kind of screenings too. Like. It, you know when they used to have like midnight screenings for like Star Wars movies before they started doing the sneak previews that started at 3 p.m. It used to be you'd have a sneak preview on Thursday night and it was one showing before the movie would open on Fridays. Now you have like seven or eight showings on Thursday, so it's not the same thing anymore. I digress. Um, <laughs> fan showings for some of these midnight screenings of like a Star Wars movie or a superhero movie or something like that within all fan audience is a beautiful experience. So, because that we're all, is that yeah, it is, yeah. Because we're all reacting to the same things, or we're yelling out different things, or whatever else, or yeah. So it's, it's great stuff. Well, it's kind of like what you're trying to do here with the building of the community. It's like have that shared experience, and like you're all here talking about it. Like, hey, what did you read? Uh, this mm-hmm. is what I was reading. So it's, yeah. it's like a comic book club on steroids. It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. And speaking of uh, people chiming in here, the purveyor of all things cereal box, John B. Pika, praise be his name. Hiya, fanatics. You know what the B stands for, right? What's that? Beyond. (laughs) Well, because he is Johnny Beyond, yes. Johnny Beyond Pika coming to you live. That's right, yeah. And he'll be on the back of the cereal box podcast tomorrow. We're talking about Scooby-Doo. Yep. So don't miss it. And of course, uh, if you're in the uh, Tennessee uh, area, uh, you gotta check out Johnny Beyond live. If you like good old-fashioned magic show, uh, Johnny's got some great style, uh, awesome tricks, very skilled music uh, magician. Almost a musician. <laughs> I, I don't know if, I, he can sing, but I'm not sure if he plays anything or not. Is he magical? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So check out Johnny Beyond live. Uh, tickets are on sale now. So yeah, gotta check that out. Get some. Get Huzzah. some magic. Get some magic in your life. So, oh, and Sherry chiming in one more time here. Totally agree about the split between Disney or Looney Tunes because Looney Tunes got her young in life. So there you go. Mm-hmm. Looney so. Tunes is, yeah, basically how I was raised also. I mean, I, I think I grew into Disney because, like, I, and I, for some reason I've always been able to, well, I've always been able to, hiya, pal! <laughs> <laughs> and I don't, I don't know where that comes from. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's pretty good, though. But, hey, Thank you very much. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Yeah. I, if I could do anything, I was, I was more of both the goofy and gosh. <laughs> That's, the, yeah, I could not. I, I don't know. I got the I got that mid-range, so I don't know where. It, it'll take me to all kinds of places. Yeah, you have a much higher register than I do, so your Mickey sounds good. My Mickey sounds like more like Peter Brady going through puberty. So... The voices I, I find myself capable of doing are always, well, 
uh, there's something that it, like I pick up on in the voice, and it just starts coming out naturally. Like, mm. um, Cobra Commander. <laughs> I got a little bit of that going on. That's pretty good, though. That's a really good Cobra Commander, though. I did a whole bit once on the channel uh, on Cartoon Commotion on YouTube, and everybody skipped it. So I don't know. I, I guess they don't like Cobra Commander on there. <sighs> well, I'd say one last thing before uh, we uh, wrap things up here. I did have one more clip I had to share here, talking about GI Joe because. Uh, wait, I wait, had... wait! Real quick. Oh yes. Now back to GI Joe. Yeah, um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, it was it was just spontaneous. I had to. <laughs> yeah, it was, absolutely. Um, I of course, you know, there's several episodes of the series that I love, but one of my favorite episodes was basically where Cobra decides that they're going to form a rock band and basically, you know, spread chaos and disorder throughout the youth of America sort of thing like that, and let's have some subliminal messages and mind control stuff and sort of while we play, right? It sort so, of plays on the concept that, like, a lot of people think that the show was created to exactly, just brainwash the, the 80s, children into buying toys. So, like, it kind of plays on it, that a lot. <laughs> it, it plays on that, but it also kind of plays with also what was going on in music media at the time with the... Uh, uh, basically the censoring of music right. because of lyrics or objectionable stuff in there, putting a little parental advisory sticker on there. So it probably played in a little bit of that too. Uh, but yes, their Cobra had a band, uh, and ironically enough, it was formed uh, in the members of Zartan and the Dreadnoughts, and they were known as Cold Slither. And uh, one of these days, we're going to get a reunion show because every band reunites. So one of these days, I will get a Cold Slither reunion. But here's a little taste. Action! Everybody! Action! We're Cold Slither. You'll be joining us soon. A band of vipers playing our tune. With an iron fist and a reptile's hiss, we shall rule. What is that idiot doing? We've heard it before. We're not gonna play. I love that. I remember I remember watching this. Like I I totally blanked on it, but I remember watching this and it was it was just as bizarre then as it is today. <laughs> yeah, and it's great too because the the director tries to break things. And later on the clip, the director tries to break things up, and then basically Cobra Commander comes in, beats up the director, and goes into directing, finishing directing the the music video. All right, so. everybody watching, I got to add a little. Uh, I don't know if it would be proper to say caveat, but mm. a point. Mm. Um, I got to add a little, you know, icing on the cake here. Oh, please. This is cheese. <laughs> okay, we got to talk about 80s and cheese. <laughs> it is not a, a negative thing. You got you to see the cheese in the 80s as, as, as a wonderful thing, okay? Because this show is loaded with cheese. But see, the mm. thing is, you can have variety of cheese. In the, 80, the 80s had lots of variety of cheese. And this is like a sharp cheddar, a really fine sharp cheddar versus like a, a really bad, oh, what's the smelliest cheese you can think of? Lindberger. You got a Limburger. You got a yeah. Limburger on the opposite end of the spectrum here. This is mm -hmm. not a Limburger, okay? This is a really fine, sharp cheddar. 
Well, I'm not sure if it's so much of a fine cheddar as it may be a, a fine cheddar that was set out in a windowsill for about six hours, uh, and maybe some sunlight got to it. So it used to be fine, but now it's not as fine, but probably still edible. <laughs> Well, if you're talking about, like, cheese you just picked up at the store, like, uh, you could say it's kind of a Swiss. At least this episode is a Swiss, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Yeah. You know, it's not, it doesn't have that same bite or flavor anymore. It doesn't, (laughs) yeah. Uh, In this particular instance. But, see, that's what makes this show so great. You get these, you get these, like, knock-out-of-the-park, like, epics, and then you get these ones that are so strange. Like, the concepts that they came up with Cobra are just phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, he could do... I mean, the comic book. Let's talk about, real quick, Saturday Morning Adventures. They yes. brought it back. The concept of that was that Cobra's massive, you know, world domination plan was to get a genie uh-huh. for, like, the Aladdin's lamp. Mm-hmm. And he wishes for, like, the most basic things, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he could have gone all out, but he, like, I want a giant trooper. I want, you know, I. It, it's all. it's all just the most strange... And then the genie turns on them. <laughs> yeah. Well, because basically the genie's just kind of tired of Cobra Commander's stuff. And it's like, all right, this guy's lame. So, uh, Duke, what y'all doing over there? Oh, cool. You're going to fight these guys? All right, I'll help. Yeah, and so, Don't question my brilliance. No, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you, you, that's the thing, too. It's, of course, what it really comes down to, what they never did in the cartoon, but the origin of Cobra Commander, he's a used car salesman. Right. Yeah, he's a used yeah, car salesman. Yeah, I remember sales- that. <laughs> yeah, he's a used car salesman who basically gets disgruntled with American life and the government and whatever else, and basically starts up his own militia. So essentially, like Cobra is like a much more highly funded, organized version of like the January Six guys. You know, so it's you know they're like you know they had just a couple more bucks than those fellows did, so. That's basically, but yeah, but Cobra's origins were very um, non-impressive and and kind of lame. So it kind of fits. It it does, <laughs> and I think in the movies they explained that Cobra was actually like a member of a group called Cobra Law. Yes, yeah, they they, they <laughs> the movie. I sh- I said movies, but I meant like the series going into the movie. Well, no, actually, it, it, they. They initially were going to release Judge of the movie as a theatrical movie. Um, unfortunately, Transformers the movie came out first. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the story, <laughs> but please tell for the, the audience. For yeah. The... Uh, so basically, if you, you're probably aware that Transformers the movie, the 1987 film, uh, was very popular when it came out. Unfortunately, it was also highly traumatizing because mm. uh, we had within the first. 15 minutes of the movie, uh, the majority of the Generation 1 Transformers Autobots all killed by the Decepticons. And then you get this amazing showdown between Optimus Prime and Megatron, a fight for the ages, where Megatron wins and Optimus Prime dies. Not Jiggy's favorite part. (sighs) I feel you, Jiggy. I mean, I was just... Uh, like many other children in the audience watching this film, we're like, okay, well, he's going to get better by the end of the movie. And at the end of the movie happens, we got this Rodimus Prime, you know, jagweed. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> Nobody and, likes you. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, sorry, Judd Nelson, but no one cares. Where's Peter Cullen? And we get to the Pretty end much. of the movie. We get to the end of the movie, and, Tra- and Optimus is still dead. I'm like, no! What is this? 
So, yeah, it was... So because of the highly traumatizing and then extreme second week drop off uh, at the box office, uh, Transformers the movie is considered a failure. So G.I. Joe the movie was going to follow shortly after in the fall. And, of course, it was going to do a very similar thing, launching kind of new characters, new toys, and was planning to kill off Duke. Yeah, they learned from that mistake. Yeah, so they're like, oh, okay, so we're not going to kill off Duke. Um, he's going to get stabbed through the heart with a snake, and he's only going to be in a coma. And by the end of the movie, he's out of the coma. Gotta Fixed. love comas. Poor Duke, man. He no, through... he was, like, think about it, it was the ultimate power nap. He went through two comas <laughs> in the series History of G.I. Joe. So Duke has, had, Duke has had a lot of head trauma. And but Optimus is, Prime died twice. But he's a robot. Duke's just a regular human. He's not just a robot. I know he's not just a robot. He's a sentient robot from another world. But nonetheless, he's made of metal and seems to be a bit more sturdier. And can easily be revived by a large energy source. He's Optimus Duke Prime. Is a, Sure, but but we we've seen uh, other Transformers revived in similar fashion. Whereas Duke is a good old fashioned human being that can die and also suffer lots of head trauma and make many visits to the VA in his older life because of said head trauma. So I'm just a, a saying, there's the, a, little... a lot of the Transformers, <laughs> though. I mean, they had these sort of like more permanent deaths towards the. Yeah. Uh, later seasons. They really did, yeah. I mean, they, they had an entire catacomb of uh, dead bodies in floating around in space. Which is weird, yeah. <laughs> it was so bizarre. It was, yeah. It, it's like, we're Dark. just going to send our dead off into space like pirates, like, in the water. You know, like, they died, so we're going to give them a burial at sea. There yeah. they go. <laughs> and And then in the same instance, they bring Optimus back from the dead as a zombie. <laughs> Yeah. Just to then kill him again. But then it's also resurrect him and he's back. Yeah. It's yeah. traumatizing. <laughs> I mean, if you think it's bad the first time. <laughs> yeah, when, they, when they, they go and bring Optimus back in the regular series, and then he's like this evil zombie version. He's not, like, good. And so then he gets killed again, and then they bring him back the right way, and he's fine. But it's like, well, yeah. He did break free from the hypnotist, uh, the hypnized, uh, whatever hypnosis. Hypnosis, he was under. yeah, yeah. He was he did break free from that, and he, he was the reason that they survived that whole ordeal. But, but it's still just they're they're toying with our emotions here. <laughs> that's but see honestly, that's why I want to talk about it so bad. <laughs> it's wonderful. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely, and that will come later. <laughs> We're, we're hinting at so many cartoons I'm going to eventually cover on Cartoon Commotion. Excellent, yeah. That's the, that's the, the 80s children went through a lot of trauma, basically, with your general media. You know, between uh, you know Transformers the movie, the never-ending story, I mean, all kinds of stuff like that. There's some severe trauma we all went through here. Yeah. That is true. <laughs> I mean, I can only imagine Care Bears the movie, that one. Oh, boy. I, I seem to remember Care Bears the movie being okay... Well, there was oh. that whole... I don't know if it was the land without feelings. I think that was... Oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that was... Yeah, but, I mean, the Care Bears brought feelings there, and, and they, they turned all the gray things colorful, so it's all good. <laughs> That's yeah. true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Everything... Every, you know, they went it to a land... Out. 
They went through a land with no color, no feelings, but the Care Bears brought color and feelings, so everything's kosher. So, yeah. It worked. It, yeah. it, did, T- it did work out. Yeah, Tenderheart didn't get his heart ripped out at the beginning of the movie <laughs> and not be still dead at the end of the movie. Everything's cool. You know, the Care Bears are okay. You know, this is terrible, but now I'm visualizing, like, <laughs> stuffing, like, the stuffing ripped out of the bears, and that's just sad. <laughs> and that's just sad, but, you know, somebody's probably made fan art of it somewhere. Oh, um, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, man, I tell you what, we have had ourselves a good time here today talking cartoons and all things geekery over here. But uh, we've been here for an hour and a half talking here, sir. So uh, It's been Mondo Excellent every minute. It has. It really has been. So uh, do we have any final words from Jiggy here? Because we've heard from him a little bit here. And, of course, we got his wonderful ditty at the beginning of the show. But does Jiggy have anything else that he'd like to add? Uh, you got something for us, Jiggy? Okay. Okay. So, like, basically, it's just uh, talking about how he was just saying, like, without the the he was all about the comic book ads at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So he went all the way back to the beginning of the of the whole thing we were talking about with the comic book ads, and he was saying that without those, we wouldn't have gotten the cartoon series in 1983, mm-hmm. and the Joes to this day could not live up to the series the expectations set in 1983. Uh, they, they to this day, that is their era that they're most known for, and he's right. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the yeah. You you you're spot on there, Jiggy. So yeah, it's that's the thing is that it's you're, he's he's hundred percent. That the, those cartoons were basically the start of that animation. You can only have about like you know basically before they started le- uh, you know lessening the restrictions on you know advertising and whatever else basically if you were promoting a toy or whatever else and you wanted to use some cartoon animation you had like less than 30 seconds you could actually make for but that less than 30 second open was what gave us the you know the mass uh the mass effect or the or was a yeah i think that the mass effect was the first the success of their brand from that time was like because of 1983 yeah well yeah, so technically yeah. 1982 but yeah, basically, eighty-two was the 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 toys and the comics. Basically, because I think the comic should have come out the same time as the toys did, but it ended up being about a month late. Uh, but the toys came out, I think, in August of eighty-two, um, and then the uh, comic hit in the fall, and then the uh, fall of eighty-three, GI Joe: Real American Hero hit TV screens, and the rest is history. There was a similar thing done with the turtles because eighty-seven turtles started before the actual uh, toy line came out just oh, like yeah. the year later it was 1988 was yeah. the toy line and that was like december versus like i think it was uh uh the just the past year that uh the the cartoon had come on tv mm-hmm. and no, see, the cartoon came in december and right. then the next year in in uh fall i think was the toy line I gotta get that, you know. I gotta get that straight for when we talk turtles. But <laughs> sure, and, and of course, the, the funny thing is that basically, you know, the turtles coming from such an independent background, a very DIY kind of origin, uh, and also they were essentially a parody for the Daredevil comics. That's how they started out. The look, um, everything, the fact that they were all wearing red bandanas, not color coded, like they came up with the, uh, the cartoon true. and the Playmate stuff. Yeah, so the turtles' origins uh, was all a parody of the Daredevil comics that Frank Miller was doing currently in the 1980s. That's that, true. And the the humor between just the two of them, um, Paul, um, 
I can't even. I was not prepared for turtle conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. Yeah, well, then, of course, and then uh, I love even, you know, parodying of a parody. The Tick ends up in its first issue making fun of the Ninja Turtles and ninjas and all that stuff because Tick was fighting ninjas that were disguising themselves as hedges. And I'm thinking Peter Laird and... Kevin Eastman. Kevin Eastman, thank you. Yep. Peter Laird and Kevin Eastman, they... Because they were joking between each other about like turtles and how they're not fast inherently, but the ninjas are. So it's like that whole joke spiraling out of that, and then doing the parody of Daredevil becoming a comic book. They never planned on it being the success that it is, and now yeah. next year the turtles from the '87 show are coming back to Nickelodeon. So mm-hmm. here you go, full circle. It, I mean, yeah, and that, and that is a franchise that has not stopped. There's been numerous iterations of the Ninja Turtles. Uh, with cartoons, with toys, with movies, with video games, it's just, it's it's a. I mean, GI Joe has had a, a, some lulls in their franchises where there wasn't anything new being produced. Uh, the same cannot be said with the Ninja Turtles. They've been going strong and hardcore since 1987. I gotta apologize because I think Jiggy derailed me. Uh, <laughs> he was he was ready for uh, the GI Joe conversation, and we just have so many cartoons we're talking about that I was I was like so taken aback by like he pulled me all the way back to the beginning i was like jiggy yes that's that's right we were supposed to be we were supposed to mention that i mean that's that's okay because you know i jiggy and i have kind of similar thought processes we kind of bounce see see we can we kind of bounce back and forth between stuff there so it it, it's a little add adhd (laughs) um but it's a focus so it was like yes i can talk about you know ninja turtles and change the conversation but oh yeah gi joe back over here yep sure okay (laughs) back over here now so see hey no worries i mean i love talking to all things cartoons is what i do it's just jiggy and i were preparing i guess for that conversation we were talking (laughs) about gi joe a lot uh Uh, i mean we are covering it tomorrow night so absolutely it it makes sense that he has some notes on that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there, there's there, that's, there, there's so many you know little points of history, a little bit of you know references to things uh, that's fun about a lot of those '80s cartoons. GI Joe definitely included. Uh, but gosh, gosh we, we like I said, we we could talk for another uh, hour and forty five minutes. Uh, and we must talk again. We must absolutely. I would sir. love it. Yes. Uh, oh this yeah. It's been wonderful. Yes, our, apparently our pairings are uh, more fun, uh, just as fun for our viewing audience uh, as they are for us. So, because uh, Sherry uh, popping in one more time saying uh, she had to go, but she loves the show, loves cartoon commotion. Together, world domination. We will conquer the world. <laughs> <laughs> you got, for me, uh, if you could get the phrase of uh, stop sputtering like a wet toaster. Oh, uh, yeah. Stop sputtering like a wet toaster. <sighs> okay. Thank you. You just made my week. All right. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> Wonderful. Because that, that's one of my favorite insults that Cobra Commander lodged at Destro. It's like... Second miniseries. <laughs> but sputtering like, a, sputtering like a wet toaster? It's perfect because he's got a metal face and he's, like, spitting water out of it, so... <laughs> but... It, but the, <laughs> I just the, the 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 juxtaposition of like no it wouldn't be sputtering it would be sparking because it's you're gonna get electrocuted from a wet toaster but whatever Cobra Commander yeah but ugh. 
Again, yeah. the cheese of the 80s is so wonderful. Mm. It, it, it is a fine, sharp Gouda. Um, yes. There you go. Fine, yeah. sharp Gouda. You've defined <laughs> that phrase. Oh, uh, we have. <laughs> sputtering like a wet toaster. <laughs> sputtering like a wet toaster. Oh, man. Well, dude, it has been a blast. Thank you for coming down from Toontown and joining us here in the real world. Uh, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, I loved it. I love talking tar- tunes whenever I can. And, Absolutely. you know, never a doubt again, George. Never a doubt again that that is pretty much my life. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's, I mean, you know, because you never know, you know, because sometimes, you know, sometimes Bugs Bunny like to enjoy, you know, a, a nice book and a, you know, a pipe and oh, a smoking no, yeah, jacket. Occasionally you know? I consume but, my regular uh, 90 sitcoms. Yeah. There you go. So, so, you, so there, there are some breaks, you know, and you know, like I said, it cleanses the palate. You get, you come back fresh. So, like, if you're always watching a cartoon, you never really have any objective takes. You never have any unique perspectives. If you're like, if my brain turned to mush, I wouldn't give you the perspective that you come to Cartoon Commotion <laughs> for. Very so, true. So you need that like little pause in between, and and trust me, it's very brief. <laughs> it is. It I is. return full force. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So, yeah, so uh, tomorrow night, Cade's got a new episode, 8 o'clock. So if you're not following Cartoon Commotion, you need to do so. Uh, and we can basically, you know, you get to talk more cartoons, uh, get to marvel at uh, Cade's production value and researching abilities. Because uh, I oh, do, thank you. Well, I, I do love me some research uh, on certain topics and deep diving into things, uh, and you do a great job of that uh, with whatever subject you're on. So I always appreciate a good researcher. Uh, so yeah, I got I gave you your flowers on that one. Oh, thank so. you very much. You're, that you're... is epicness. Yes, lovely, lovely. So thank you very much for being on the show, and thank you very much, Jiggy, for joining us as well. So I love my buddy there. So. Yeah. You gotta love Jiggy. <laughs> you gotta love Jiggy. So uh, I, we're gonna close things out with a word from our friends at Comic Books for Kids. Uh, but again, next week on the show, uh, ladies from the Cosplay Cafe, Andrea Starnes will be joining us. Uh, we're gonna be doing a little bit of a wrap up on San Diego Comic Con. Some announcements coming out there, and other nerdness, I'm sure. Uh, but otherwise, you all have yourselves a wonderful weekend. Take care, and uh, thanks for stopping by the Fanatic Forum. Y'all take Keep care. Keep it unreal. Yeah. Comic Books for Kids provides comic books to kids in hospitals and cancer centers across the U.S. It's a place where we can all work together to make sure every child has a comic book. 100% of all proceeds go towards the kids. It's about making a difference, and while they're in the hospital, allowing them to fly like a superhero, battle dragons, or rescue teddy bears. We are in every state in the country and now support over 160 hospitals. Every month, we add more. Visit cb4k.org.